Well, this morning, um, I think it was Monty Python who always had that bit, uh, and now for something completely different. Um, well, this morning, I'm going to do something a little different, not completely different. I ended up, uh, because of scheduling situations and with our guest preacher and some of the issues that we had in uh, with this one extra Sunday before we begin the season of Lent. By the way, next Wednesday at 7 p.m., we will have, this coming Wednesday here, uh, we'll be having our Ash Wednesday service, both in person and online, 7 p.m. on Wednesday. Um, so I, I, Advent is, sorry, Advent, Lent is starting next week, and I'm, I will begin a Lenten series thereafter. But I had this one open slot, and so I decided to do a one-off type of sermon and it kind of came out of the Bible study I've been doing on Wednesday evening from Widows to Warriors. I looked at some of the stories there. I don't agree with everything uh, from the author's perspective, but it's helped me see a few stories in a different way. And I wanted to think about one of those stories this morning and to do it in a bit of a different manner. Uh, so I won't be um, reading uh, the scriptures ahead of the sermon. I'll be reading them during the sermon. Now, I realize this is pretty radical for the CRC, so if you have a problem with it, that you can send your, your kind of complaints to the CRC headquarters in Grand Rapids and tell them I didn't follow the rules this morning. <laughs> so the story I want to consider this morning is the story of Hagar. Now, what do you think of when I mention the name Hagar? What comes to your mind? Well, if you're a child of the 80s like me, you probably think of Sammy. Sammy Hagar, right? That's what comes to my mind. And or maybe uh, Hagar the Horrible. You remember comics, you know, that little comic strip? I never really got that one. didn't do it for me. But most of us don't really think about Hagar much, the Hagar of the Bible, and there's good reasons for that, right? She's kind of a, a sideshow in the Bible. She's the other woman, if you will, in the story of Abraham and Sarah, and she does not give birth to the son of promise. She gives birth to Ishmael. I mean, Hagar and her son Ishmael are the losers in the story, right? They're also rands. They, they came in second place in the story. And as the great golfer Walter Hagen, this is for you, Doug, the great golfer Walter Hagen said, no one remembers who came in second. And that's true, right? It's true in life. It's true in the scripture. And so often we forget Hagar and her story. We focus, with good reason, on Abraham and Isaac and Sarah. They're obviously the, the covenantal line, but we forget about Hagar, and no one remembers who comes in second. Nobody that is but God. God remembers. And that's what I want you to see this morning, that God remembers those who come in second. What I want you to see is God not only remembers Hagar and Ishmael, but he sees them, and he listens to them. He hears them. And I hope knowing this will provide some comfort to you this morning, whatever you're going through, that God, our God, is the God who sees and hears. That's the title of the sermon. And I want to draw a few lessons from the story of Hagar. Let's look at that together. Now, the story of Hagar takes place in two parts. So we're going to look at each part of this story, we're going to understand a little bit what's going on, and then I'll draw a few lessons from that story. But let's begin with her story, and let's begin with part one. Now, if I were to title part one, it would be The God Who Sees. And the text here is Genesis 16. If you could pop that up, let's look at that text together. I'll do my best Charles Stanley kind of imitation and walk around with my Bible here. Uh, Genesis 16, let's look at part one, The God Who Sees. 
Now Sarai, Abram's wife, bore him no children. She had an Egyptian slave girl whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, You see that the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go in to my slave girl. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her slave girl, and gave her to her husband as a wife. He went into Hagar, and she conceived, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my slave girl to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Your slave girl is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she ran away from her. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave girl of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I'm running away from my mistress Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will so greatly multiply your offspring that they cannot be counted for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Now you have conceived and shall bear a son. You shall call him Ishmael, and the Lord has, for the Lord has given heed to your affliction. You will be a wild ass of a man with his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him, and he shall live at odds with all his kin. So she named the Lord who spoke to her. You are El Roy. For she said, Have I really seen God and remained alive after seeing him? Therefore the well was called Ber Lahai Roy. It lies between Kadesh and Bered. Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram named his son, whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Abram was 68 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay, that's our story. Now, let's just think about what's going on in that story. Let's kind of do a little highlight reel here. Right, Abram and Sarah, I'm going to call them Abram, Abraham and Sarah, just to keep it consistent. They were tired of waiting, right? They had received this promise of a child. They grew tired of waiting. No child had come. And so what do they do? They decide to solve the problem on their own. They conspire together to do that. And, and Sarah comes up with this idea, hey, I'll give Abram uh, my slave girl, uh, Hagar, and that'll fix the problem. And, and the plan worked, right? I mean, it worked. And everybody was happy because it worked, right? Wrong. Sarah was very unhappy. She was very distressed. She was very angered. She began to have friction between herself and Hagar, this Egyptian slave girl that she chose to be a concubine for Abraham. And, and not only did she have friction with her, she had friction with her husband over this Abraham. There was a lot of friction in the house. And Sarah complained to Abraham because Hagar was kind of rubbing her nose in it, right? That she had produced a child where, where Sarah could not do it. And Abram, what does he do? Abraham says, oh, don't do whatever you want to do. She's yours, do what you want to do. And so what happens is that Sarah treats Hagar harshly. That's what the text says. She treated her harshly. And what does Hagar do? She runs away. 
She runs away into the wilderness to escape this treatment. And you're starting to think this is not going to end well for Hagar. But then something extraordinary happens, and you see that in the text as I read it, right? When she's alone in the wilderness, this Egyptian slave girl, this one driven out by Sarah, she runs away from this persecution. She goes out into the wilderness, and who visits her? The angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord comes to her, and he tells her, God comes to her and tells her, return to Abraham and Sarah. And he promised her, he made her a promise, it will work out for you and for your descendants. And then something even more extraordinary happens here. Uh, the only place in the whole Bible this happens, she gives God a name. This Egyptian slave girl names the Lord. She gives him a name, verse 13. So she named the Lord who spoke to her, you are Elroy. Which means God of seeing or God who sees. The NIV translation does this very well when it renders verse, that verse 13. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. At that most desperate moment when she felt utterly abandoned, utterly alone. The Lord visited her. The Lord heard her. The Lord saw her. Our God is the God who sees. See, part one of Hagar's story teaches us that lesson. It teaches us that the God of the Bible is the God who sees. Now let's look at part two of her story. Part two of Hagar's story comes in Genesis chapter 21, verses 8 through 20. We can look at that text and put that on the screen. Let's listen to part two. This happens later in life. Ishmael is now probably about, a about maybe 12 or maybe a teenager at this point. And Isaac has come on the scene. They've had the child of promise through Sarah. Verse 8, chapter 21. The child, that is Isaac, grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, playing with her son Isaac. So she said to Abraham, cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not inherit along with my son Isaac. The matter was very distressing to Abraham on account of his son. But God said to Abraham, Do not be distressed because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. For it is through Isaac that offspring shall be named for you. As for the son of the slave woman, I will make a nation of him also because he is your offspring. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with the child and sent her away. And she departed and wandered about in the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she cast the child under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat down opposite him a good way off about the distance of a bowshot, For she said, do not let me look on the death of the child. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the boy. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Do not be afraid. 
For God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Come, lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make a great nation of him. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. She went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. God was with the boy, and he grew up. He lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother got a wife for him from the land of Egypt. This also is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This is part two of Hagar's story. And here, it's not uh, the tension between Hagar and Sarah that causes the strife. It is the tension that Sarah sees, at least perceives, between her son, uh, Isaac, and Ishmael. And Sarah does not like what's going on here. And this time, she wants Hagar and her son to be banished. And she tells Abraham this. And Abraham's distressed over it. But God says, don't worry about it. I've got it covered. I will take care of it. And so the next morning, as we read, Abraham sends out Hagar and her son and his son, Ishmael, with some water and bread. There they go. They're banished. They're sent out into the wilderness. And what happens to them? Her water runs out. And there's this drama here because her son uh, becomes near death, right? She sees him dying and she can't stand to see the sight of her own child suffering. So she puts him under a bush. She thinks he's going to die and she cries out. She weeps to God. She cries out and her boy is crying out. And then something extraordinary happens. God hears. God hears the cry of Ishmael. He hears the prayer of Hagar. He hears Ishmael, whose name, by the way, means the God who hears. Verse 17 of what I just read from Genesis 21. God heard the boy crying, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What is the matter, Hagar? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. And then what does God do? He opens her eyes and she sees the well and she has water. She finds water of life. She finds a future for herself and for her son. What do we learn from part two of Hagar's story? Well, we learn that the God of the Bible is not only the God who sees, but the God who hears. That's what we learn from this story of Hagar, that the God that we worship is the God who sees and the God who hears. The God who sees and hears. So what does that mean for us? Well, let me draw three lessons from this story this morning that how it impacts us, how it makes a difference in your life and in my life, for those of you at home, how it should change us, how it should shape us, how it should encourage us, challenge us, and comfort us. Three lessons from this amazing story of Hagar. The first one is this. Hagar's story reminds us that God sees and hears other people. God sees and hears and cares about other people. You see, the truly amazing thing about this story, about Hagar, is that she's not an Israelite. In fact, she's like the opposite of an Israelite, right? She's an Egyptian. We know where the Egyptians are in the story of Israel. She is an Egyptian slave girl. 
She is an outsider. She is the other, right, in this story. Here in this story, we find God seeing, hearing, and caring for this other, for this Egyptian. And what that reminds us about, what it should remind us about, is that God cares about others. That is not just about us. And sometimes, as Christians, we do that, right? We begin to think that all God cares about is us, is the covenant people of God, is those who call upon his name. We become very small-minded. We have our God being too small because we think it's just all about us. A man arrives at the gates of heaven, and St. Peter asks, What's your religion? And the man says, Methodist. St. Peter looks down on his list and says, go to room 24, but be very quiet as you pass room 8. Another man arrives at the gates of heaven. Peter asks him, what's your religion? He says, Baptist. Peter says to him, go to room 18, but be very quiet when you pass room 8. A third person arrives at the gates uh, and Peter asks her, what's your religion? And she says, Episcopalian. Peter says, well, go to room 11, but be very quiet as you pass room 8. And she says to St. Peter, I can understand there being different rooms for different religions, but why must I be quiet when I pass room 8? And St. Peter tells her, well, the Reformed are in room 8, and they think they're the only ones here. <laughs> and sometimes that's how we are. And I know you don't actually think that way. Sometimes we act in that way as Christians, right? We think it's all about us, that God, is, you know, that God doesn't have a bigger view than just us, the covenant people of God. It's very easy for us to act that way. But one of the key parts of the story of Abraham is that not only would he be blessed, but that he would be a blessing to others. That part of what God called Abraham and the covenant of people, the whole nation of Israel, right? They were to be a light to the nations, just as we are to be a light to the world and inherent and embedded in the promises to Abraham. In Genesis 12, God says to him, I will bless you and you will be a blessing. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. God wanted to open the eyes of Abraham to think about mission to think about everyone, to think about other people, even an Egyptian slave girl, as we see here, because God cares about this world. And what that means for us uh, here at RCRC, what it means for us as Christians, is that part of our calling is not only to be about us, not only to nurture the people of God in church on Sunday, in church on Wednesday, through Bible studies and all that, but part of our role is to be a blessing to other people, to see and hear and care for other people just like God does here with Hagar. And particularly here, what we see is that triad of people that God cares for most, the vulnerable. Hagar is basically like a widow. She has no real husband. She's sent on her own. Ishmael is much like an orphan. He is sent out with no father. And they are aliens, right? Strangers and foreigners. These are the people that God cares about, that he sees and hears. And he wants us to have eyes to see. He wants us to have ears to hear. He wants us to have hearts big enough to care for other people. Because that's who he is. 
And that's who he wants us to be. That's the first lesson we learn from this. Hagar's story reminds us that God sees and hears other people and cares for them, and we should too. The second lesson is this. Hagar's story reminds us that God sees and hears the other side. He sees and hears the other side, and we should too. An old man was wondering if his wife had a hearing problem. So one night she stood behind her, he stood behind her, while she was sitting in her lounge chair. He spoke softly to her, honey, can you hear me? There was no response. So he moved a little closer and said again, honey, can you hear me? Still, there was no response. And finally, he moved right behind her and said, honey, can you hear me? She replied for the third time, yes. Think about it. You'll get it. <laughs> And I think that joke captures well part of our problem. I mean, our problem in the church, I think it's a cultural problem, is that we tend to think everybody else has the hearing problem, right? When maybe really it is us, it is we who have the hearing problem. We tend to think about other people. Why don't those other people listen? When perhaps we should be asking ourselves, am I the one who's not listening. You see, it's something that's so concerning to me that we are more and more living within these kind of echo chambers, this, this kind of closed epistemic systems, right? Where all we are willing to hear is the stuff we already agree with. We're not willing to listen to the other side. We're not really interested in entertaining anything they have to say. We just want to hear what we already know, believe, and hold dear to our hearts. In many ways, we behave like the soup Nazi. I had to throw a Seinfeld reference in case you're playing bingo at home. So we behave like the soup Nazi, right? Some, that's what the whole story is. He's got this system down. He's got a way of doing it. And if you do something out of that, what happens? No soup for you. And that's kind of what we do in our lives. It's kind of what happens on Facebook, right? Or whatever, or these other places. We don't like what someone is saying. No soup for you. We close our ears. We don't listen to the other side. Now, perhaps you're wondering, well, pastor, what does the story of Hagar really have to do about this? Where does it teach this principle? Well, let me tell you. Who is it that received revelation from God in this story out in that wilderness? Was it Abraham and Sarah? No, God gave revelation to Hagar, right? He spoke to her. Abraham and Sarah were not there. The angel of the Lord, God told her, name your son Ishmael. He did this announcement. It's a birth announcement. There are a lot of them in Scripture. Of course, obviously, the birth announcement of Jesus, the one given to Mary, calls to mind. It's the same kind of pattern. But it was given not to Abraham and Sarah, but to an outsider, to the other side, to an Egyptian. God revealed this. And then what did God do? God sent her back. God made her a uh, basically an apostle, a messenger, right? He sent her back to tell Abraham and Sarah what God had told her. Now, how do you think that went over? Right? Hagar ran away because she was being treated harshly by Sarah. I mean, this is not a good situation, right? There's a lot of uh, friction going on. 
Abraham and Sarah, they don't know what happened out there in the wilderness. And here comes this Egyptian slave woman who's caused all this problem in this house, at least in their view. And she comes back and tells them, hey, when I was out there in the wilderness, God spoke to me and here's what he said. Imagine how that went over. <laughs> I mean, they could have said to her, no soup for you, right? Get out of here. What are you talking about? God doesn't talk to you. How are you approving her? Whatever. They, they could have thrown her aside. They could have refused to listen to her. But the text tells us they listened to her. Why? How do I know that? Well, what did Abraham do? Genesis 16, verse 15, Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram named his son, whom Hagar bore Ishmael. The name was announced to Hagar. She came back, told Abram, here's what God said, and Abraham listened. He listened to the other side, and sometimes that is an important thing for us to do. This whole story emphasizes the other side. Think about the facts of this story. This whole story is meant for Israel to put themselves in someone else's shoes. Think about it. What do we know about Hagar? She is a slave. We know that about her. We know that she is a foreigner, that she is an Egyptian. She's forced to live in a foreign land as a slave. She's afflicted by her master, Sarah, she flees from that affliction. Where does she go? She goes to the wilderness. What happens with God? God meets her in the wilderness because he hears her affliction. Now, and then he promises her a rich benefit to her descendants that it will all work out. He makes that promise to her in the wilderness. Now, does that story sound familiar to you? Yeah, it's the Exodus told in inverse. Right? This is what's going to happen to the people of Israel. You're going to be treated this way someday as well. It's teaching us to walk in other people's shoes, to see the other side. And maybe the lesson we should draw from that is that we should do that too. To listen to the other side of the political spectrum. To listen to the other side of faith. Even people who don't share our faith can teach us certain things, right? We can receive the word through some interesting ways. I know it's not easy to do that. That's why we don't do it. Think about this. Alan Ross in his commentary writes this. He said, how Sarah must have been humbled every time she heard that boy's name, Ishmael, God hears. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard to consider the other side. It's hard to listen to the other side. It's hard to care about the other side. But God does that. He wants us to do it. He tries to teach his people to do it. And I think we can draw that lesson from this text. God sees, hears, and listens to the other side. And he wants us to do that too. Third and finally this morning, Hagar's story reminds us that God sees and hears and cares for the afflicted. He sees, hears, and cares for the afflicted. I don't have a joke for this one, so. <laughs> but I do have comfort for you. I do have comfort. Because this is good news. It's good news for anyone who's struggling. And I know some of you are. I know some of you at home are struggling. And let's face facts about Hagar. She had a pretty lousy life, right? I mean, she didn't ask for any of this. She did not sign up for this. She was drafted and forced into it. She got caught up in circumstances that weren't of her making, that she didn't do anything wrong to contribute to them. 
There were circumstances beyond her control. And what did she do? The first thing she did, she ran away. She ran away from those circumstances because it was so personally painful. We saw that in part one of her story. You ever been in a situation like that that was so personally painful to you that you just wanted to get out, just wanted to run away? Yeah. You've probably been there somewhere. You get this story. And in part two of her story, we saw that she once again found herself in painful circumstances, but this time she's banished, right? She's forced out. She's driven away. Have you ever been in that type of situation? Been sent packing? Maybe by an employer, maybe by a spouse or someone in a relationship. Being forced out in a very painful type of way. Hagar did not have an easy life. And then on top of it, God asked her to do hard things. Right when she ran away, what did God ask her to do? He said, go back. Go back into that painful situation. I'm calling you to endure it. I'm calling you to trust me. And sometimes that happens. And some of you are there right now. You are in that situation where God is calling you to endure a situation you would rather run away from. That's what God did here. What about the second time when she was banished? There God told her to go forth. Go forth into this wilderness. Go. I will take care of you. I will provide for you. Trust me. You think she wanted to be there in that unknown, dangerous place, that cue word of the Bible, their wilderness, right? Nothing good ever happens in the wilderness. Some of you may be there where God is telling you to go somewhere that's uncharted, unknown, somewhere that makes you uncomfortable. And all you have is this promise that he will be with you. Hagar did not have an easy life. She did not have an easy life. And God asked her to do hard things. And sometimes when you're going through that, when you are afflicted, you can feel invisible. You can feel unseen and unheard and alone. And what this story says to you, it tells you that God is there. That he sees your affliction. That he hears your cry. That you are never alone. He sees and hears the afflicted. And more than that, if you are there, if you're running away, if you're banished, if you're in the wilderness, if you are afflicted, what does God do here? He provides for Hagar. When that water ran out, when she was contemplating the death of her son, what did God do? He provided. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. She went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. You see what God does? He opened her eyes to see a way out, to see his provision, to see that water. If you feel alone, if you feel like you are in the wilderness, remember that God sees you, he hears you, and he will provide for you. You will open your eyes to see a way out, to see the water of life, to see a way to carry on. 
Long after Hagar saw that well of water, another outcast woman, an outsider in every respect, one who had gone through her own form of affliction, she came to a well in the heat of the day. She was thirsty. She was a woman who was invisible. She was a woman people didn't listen to. But Jesus saw her. Jesus listened to her. And Jesus provided for her. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. Now that's Bear Lahai Roy. That's the well of living water. That's our Lord Jesus Christ. And He sees you. And he hears for you. And he has provided for you. Our God is the God who sees, hears, and cares for his people. Let us pray.